welcome to Haunt and Gather, a podcast about the new American folklore in the great outdoors. Today is going to be a strange journey, folks. We're presenting to you the third in a trilogy of tales, our triptych if you like. You've heard about the Dead Creek Road Weird of Whiskey Hollow, you've heard about the red orbs of the Hessian village and the thing that lurks even deeper in that wood. But today we'll tell you a story with the deepest implications of them all, and then we'll tell you our theories. That's right, you've sat and listened to us long enough and it's time we bring you into the conversation of what's happening out there. Let's go on an adventure to the brink and back. Maybe get some answers, answers to the big questions. Let's leave our shells and who we are behind. Understand, understand that it's just the other side. To communicate clearly into the red light. Tell us who you are, give us. And welcome back, everybody, once again to Haunt and Gather, a paranormal podcast exploring the new American folklore in the great outdoors. I'm Jack Krisky. And I'm Ben Bagensky. Today, we're telling you about melonheads. What are melonheads? It doesn't matter because we didn't find them. We found something else instead, something strange in the Connecticut woods. So we've been regaling you guys with our experiences over two episodes now. And despite talking about analysis and theories, we've been kind of light on that. And there's a very good reason for it. So these theories all stem from our kind of three origin stories and for you guys to understand our approach on one of them we have to be able to call back to all of them it's this weird sort of continue i mean it's the scientific method you know we've got our body of evidence and it's not just any one of these we're pulling from all of them and making theories based on a combination of things that we've encountered across all three so from here on out after this story tonight you guys are going to be hearing a lot more about our theories and what we think may be going on Starting tonight, you will begin to hear our analysis and what we think is really going on out there. But we have our three books on the shelf now. Our adventure at Whiskey Hollow, our Christmas adventure at the Hessian Village, and there's one thing that happened in between them, the third story in our triptych. So tonight, this is the saga of Downs Road. Yes, and... Just a little bit of a plug here. If you guys stick around after the podcast, I get to gear geek out on you guys a little bit and talk about what goes into your day pack when you go off on one of these investigations. But without further ado, we are going to dive right in. Chapter one, nosebleed. All right, so Downs Road. It is an abandoned roadway that's connecting the towns of Hamden and Bethany. Uh, It was a full-on thoroughfare. There were houses, there were farmsteads. The foundations are still there, but then they shut it down and abandoned it. Why'd they shut it down? I'll be honest, not entirely sure. I bet it was 
the melon heads. So could be the melon heads. I I'm a little more skeptical than that because local politics are fun. But the melon heads definitely did outlive the road. Okay, so how did you how did you find out that this road has something weird going on? Does it have a local reputation? So it does have a little bit of a local reputation, but I only got to get some of those stories from the hot sheets. You know, I I started with the hot sheets. Oh god. Oh yeah. <laughs> Weird Connecticut's back in there again. Weird New England, it's coming back around. We can't escape it. Careful not <laughs> to date yourself with your hot sheets reference. Listen, you. Let me let me feel old and decrepit. So, uh, yeah, it's actually a whole entry in Weird New England, which I first came across all the way back in high school. And a bunch of friends of mine and I were going to go and investigate it. And then we didn't. I've never heard this story before, by the way. And as soon as when we were starting to to script this episode, uh, you mentioned this and I was like, don't tell me another word. So this is the first time I'm hearing any of this. I I almost feel a little bit bad because it's not going to be that exciting until it is. <laughs> I'm really excited. And I also want to build up the listeners expectations. Proceed. It's all Oh, absolutely. So a couple of friends of mine and I came across this when one of them loaned me Weird New England. And I'm like, I, I, I'm so close to this. We can go check this out. And in a sign that clearly I'm more superstitious than I give myself credit for, the day before we were supposed to go out, I got my first in my life ever nosebleed. And I could not tell you what in my brain put two and two together that this must be connected. But I'm like, we can't go. I, I that just, was the day before, right? That so was, it wasn't that was like the, you were about to head out there, get in the car. This was no, this was not putting my coat on and getting ready. This was like the day before. All of a sudden, I feel kind of an itch in my nose. And I'm like, oh, OK, let me blow my nose. And then there's blood. <laughs> and I somehow put two and two together that this must be connected and it's a sign and we can't go. So we didn't. Um, and I an sat omen. on that. Yeah, it was an omen. And I sat on that story for. Man, I, I sat on that story until college, even after college. And that was when I first told you about it, when it sort of got dredged up in the old filing cabinet. And I had the the weird U.S. book because at that point in time, I'd had weird New York and then weird U.S. And that was like a the best of and it goes state by state. And it mentioned uh, the Connecticut uh, melon heads. And I was like, oh, well, when am I ever going to be in Connecticut? And yeah, so by the time that you had mentioned the melon heads, I was like, I, I've read about those guys before because that is a memorable name. It, it is. And it, the description's pretty literal. So the melon heads are supposed to be these small little pygmy figures with comically oversized heads. But what's less funny is what they do to you when you get there. So, you're not supposed to go on the road at night foreshadowing. And hmm. the reason there is because they're supposed to like throw rocks at you, drive you off, rattle their sticks. And you know, the story always goes, well, no one ever really sticks around to find out what happens, you know, after they try to scare you off, but it's supposed to be nothing good. Right. And, um, 
they scare off people in lover's lane kind of like teenagers will hang out there and party in the woods and uh that they'll always find ways of driving you away 100 percent. and for every story of somebody saying they were chased off by melon heads you know there's a number there's two more that are like oh well we went there to go graffiti trees and light things on fire with gasoline when we were kids and we never saw the melon heads uh it's just this really weird area where weird things may happen weird things may not but no one ever likes to talk about it too much chapter two hunting melon heads so fast forward to january 2017 and that's when we all decided to get together at my dad's place so it was you me aaron and let's call her kelly a mutual friend of ours who's a historian Uh, We decide that, among other things in Connecticut, we are going to go check out Downs Road and see what this whole melon heads thing is about. And we were we were coming in fresh from Whiskey Hollow to put this on the timeline. uh, We're about a a year out from uh, we're over a year out from the Hessian Village. Uh, That was December 2018. And so. We are a ways away from the Hessian village. That's 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 way ahead of us. But this was coming off fresh from, uh, you know, this is this is two, three months since Whiskey Hollow happened and from my returns there. So at that point in time, we had just seen something in the woods and we had all agreed we found one thing. Let's legend chase and see if we can find a second. Yeah, so we're. We're, uh, you know, we're taking concentrated paranormal to the face right now, but due to the name Melonheads, I don't think any of us were coming into this taking it too seriously. No, it was it was ironic for sure. It was it was look, this is a one star difficulty cryptid. If we run into it, uh, he's he's a level one encounter. We're good. Yeah, we were we were looking at this as kind of a step down. You know, a bit of a palate cleanser, something to unshook us from Whiskey Hollow. That's uh, not what happened. No, no, that's that's not what happened. <laughs> so we wind up getting there and we start off down the road and we continue. I was kind of catching everybody up on some of the finer points of the story. Uh, they're supposed to live in these caves and the in these rock formations. I'd never been there. So we're viewing all of this through fresh eyes. And as we're walking down the path, we look to the left, and lo and behold, there's this big, craggy, rocky ridge. Oh, it, it was calling to me. Yeah, Ben Ben latched onto that. I but, literally, I yeah, did literally. literally latch onto that. I like climbing things. And if I hear that there might be small melonhead creatures, I was like, obviously, you're living in these rocky cracks. So I'm going to climb up, and I don't know what I was expecting. I wanted to see if there was a little cave in there. Uh, you know, maybe a little a little round door. I don't know. But uh, I was up there for a bit and it was eerie. It, you're, you're getting this very tempting sense that if there is a thing that lives in these woods, these little tiny guys that come out at night to throw rocks, this is obviously where they live. And I have to say his logic was sound. You know, we followed him up there. We went ahead, we looked around, we scrabbled over the rocks, felt a little less eerie once all of us were out there too. But I don't think any of us could really shake the sense that, all right, something does feel a little bit off about this place. 
Now, I think that that's around the time that Kelly first mentioned that she was hearing whispers. That's right. It was up on the ridge that she had asked, I think, if one of us had said something because she had thought she'd heard a voice and wasn't sure if it belonged to us. And that was when we did kind of our first stop and listen. On our way back down onto the path, very quickly a theory began to form. And we didn't originally say it out loud, but we did begin to share some recollections of our childhood, things that reminded us of maybe what it was that Kelly heard and that particular feeling I got and the legend of the Melonheads themselves. Chapter three, Fairy's Gift. Kelly had told us about her childhood. Uh, She mentioned that when she was young, she would host tea parties with the little folk. And she remembers taking the top of an acorn and boiling the water and serving the tea in the acorn tops and leaving them out as gifts. And that she'd make friends with the wee folk. And uh, she always wondered how she knew to do that as a kid. She said, what kid would do that? And so as we're walking along Downs Road, we have a idea beginning to coalesce. Kelly thought that there might have been a parallel between her tea parties with small, invisible, mischievous things as a child and her instinct to leave offering and tributes out for them. In addition, it made me think back to something that happened when I was a boy. We had moved out of the suburbs into a more rural area uh, near Syracuse. There was a marsh far back in my house, but we had forest property. And coming from a crowded suburb with a tiny yard, that was huge. I would spend a lot of my childhood with a notebook and a pen and a CD player. Um, and I would I would go out in the woods and I would be looking for Bigfoot or uh, a variety of different uh, lumbering creatures of the North Woods. So there was what we called the square. The square was a series of paths which from our backyard formed a small square shape and we owned everything inside the square. Everything else was either private property to either side and in the far back it went towards a farmer's field if you kept going. In the corner of the square in the forest there were two toadstools and one day on top of these two toadstools were two wooden dice. They were slightly waterlogged, uh, a little bit of uh, a mildew on the corners, but the pips of the dice were carved into them. You could use them as playing dice. I loved as a kid and continue to love tabletop board games. Dice are one of my favorite objects. And if there was anything to appear on a toadstool that would call to me, it would be these dice. So I took them. And I brought them and I showed them to my parents and they didn't seem. I didn't seem particularly excited that I found dice in the woods, which I didn't understand. I thought that was such an interesting find. I went out in the woods all the time looking for mummies, looking for treasure. 
I looked for for lost tombs, everything. And I found something. And they said, nice. It's like they didn't see what I was showing them. I put them on a cabinet in the basement on a shelf. And I remember shortly after that not being able to find the dice. Where I remember putting them, there was just... I remember seeds, and I, I don't know what happened to the dice. Now, it wasn't until many years later when I began to study folklore that I learned about fairies' gifts and how eventually, after you accept them, what was left there isn't what you're left with. Eventually, fairies' gifts fade, but you will then remain beholden to whatever it was that left you the gift. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that this is what happened, but I do find it very strange that I found a pair of dice in the wood that eventually disappeared. So Kelly and I were sharing these stories along the path, and we began to theorize that perhaps these melon heads, perhaps they were the same descriptions of goblins and fairies. And maybe there was more to the story than meets the eye. Chapter four. Hark, a hunter. We had gone down the path on Downs Road without much activity. Uh, by this point in time, Aaron had also heard uh, a bell at one point in time, but I well, hadn't it, heard anything. It wasn't just Aaron. So we were going through, we were going along the path and I was able to see some of the abandoned structures, their foundations at this point. Um, they were kind of weird. It was like sort of dugouts, but they were mostly at ground level. The houses here had to have been wild when they were built, but I go to check them out because I'm thinking to myself, well, if something's not up on the ridge, it might be in there. And as I go into what used to be a basement, I also heard it sounded like a tinkling, like a, a metallic tinkling. It was almost as if someone were dropping a handful of coins from one hand into another or like the gentle ringing of a small bell. I had still not heard anything, and quite frankly, I was disinterested in the trail. There was a darker part of the forest, and it was calling to me. My my weird R was, was pinging in that direction. I really thought that the trail was nothing. I wanted to get into the, into the dark wood. Now, Kelly was also having some issues on the trail. Uh, there were... Uh, there were there were stumps and on these stumps there would be uh, a variety of objects one was a a stone that was placed on top of a log and it looked just like an egg and kelly stopped dead in her tracks and informed us that she was feeling compelled very much to take oh the egg. no i remember this the egg so the egg wasn't actually on a stump it was on a larger boulder, and it was in this almost perfect bowl-shaped depression on yes, that rock. Yes, yes, yep. Yeah, and that's what made it weird, because this egg-shaped rock would not have wound up there perfectly placed in this little rocky bowl by anything other than design. Right, 
And so you know, maybe there's a hiker who put it there. And that's likely what it was. But 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 Kelly at the time was explaining to us that she felt an intense desire to take it. And given the story that I had just told, and maybe that idea was planted, uh, but in the moment she she very much felt the need to take it. Now, I'm curious. I also felt the want for it, but that's because I, I just wanted to pick a thing up and grab it. Uh, and she she had tied back to my story and her story and, and her theory was that because as children, we might have been close to these things. Um, we both felt the pull of the Fae. I still, I'm not really, I'm not buying that. And, and typically I find in, in these these high strangeness areas, people have a tendency to connect everything to folklore because that's how we parse out the world, particularly the unknown. Uh, and I don't know the veracity of how much she did feel the pull, but in the moment, that was weird. It was super weird. I'll admit that I was both- done with it. <laughs> so were we Aaron and I wound up um Aaron and I didn't feel this. Uh we did not feel the pull at all. And so the two of us were kind of looking at each other then looking back to Ben and Kelly and just like what are, are you guys good? What is we're time to go. Let's get back down the path. I wanted to get off the path really badly. I wanted to go into the dark wood. We finally did get off the path. We found some we found some junk that people had left, you know, sitting on a satellite dish somewhere. And we had used that as a point of reference when we were off trail. Now, I heard people talking right around a bend at one point in time when we were in a more lightly wooded area. And it sounded like hunters. And as I was crossing the bend, there was nobody there. So we didn't think a lot of it because it does border state game land and sound can travel weirdly in the woods, especially when you have ridges and changes in elevation. Uh, This would not be the only time that we've encountered this, though. And Aaron, again, around that point in time, also claimed to have heard a voice and he wanted to look in a different direction. So so very quickly, the situation has gone from us walking down a path looking for melon heads and we're we're starting to walk into Midsummer Night's Dream territory where all of us are hearing disembodied voices and stumbling through the forest. One thing that we did see, which was not an important detail at the time, but again, this is something that's gained more significant later on, is that between this area we were walking and the dark forest, there was a single object on the ground of the forest. There was a deflated, a metallic happy birthday balloon that was that was on the ground. It was a piece of junk. How did it get there? It floated away from, you know, a, a kid's party. Uh, and this is where it dropped. No significance until. Yeah, then Hellier watched, happened. Yeah, until until Hellier happened and. The identical balloon strand uh, in the show Hellier at one point in time while following coordinates, which are ultimately uh, a dead end. Perhaps Strand finds a balloon and it was it was the same balloon. I never thought any significance to the balloon we found until these people are also looking for goblins in a forest 
and run into this balloon. It was a, it's a, it's an odd synchronicity, or perhaps it's nothing. Um, but that's we'll, the fun game to play. We'll touch on that after the story when we get to the analysis, though, because there are some weird, weird similarities. We are finally delving deeper into the wood, and our intention now is to get to the dark forest in the center at the heart of the strange. Chapter 5, The Silver Gates. For some reason, we get back onto a side path that's going to cut more directly to the dark wood. And for some reason, I tell the group, we're looking for the silver gates. If this is fae, we're looking for a fairy circle. That was that was a fact to me. If we're if this is goblins and fairies, if that's what's happening, we're hearing bells and there are voices. This is strange and we didn't expect any of this, but let's let's go down that rabbit hole. If we're looking for fairies, then we're looking for a fairy circle in the forest. And to get to the fairy circle, we have to cross through the silver gate. And I explained that that's going to be birch trees somewhere on the side of the trail, there will be birch trees. Now, here's the thing. At, at this point, I think we're about to make the same point. I don't know I, of anywhere in Fey folklore about silver gates marking where a fairy circle might be, but you said that with such conviction. I, it was a fact. It just came to me. I knew that, and I assumed that that was something that I had read. But the only reference to silver gates that I'm familiar with is an hp lovecraft story one of the randolph carter stories it was it was pulling out of my imagination that 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 feels like something i i'd make in a story but in the moment it it really i thought i knew it it was it was a piece of information in my head none of us questioned it no one questioned it because no one's like ben that's not a thing because i i was because to me in that moment it was a thing, and I thought it was a thing. I, I didn't know that I was making it up, but looking back on it, Jack, I think I made that up. That was when we actually stopped and we dug in and actually looked into some fey folklore. And that's when I kind of looked at Ben and said, yeah, there's no there's no record of any kind of like silver gateways or birch trees or anything like that demarcating fey territory. It how felt- did how'd you come up with that? It, it felt in the moment that that's where the circle was. If we're going to find a circle, that's how we're going to get there. And on the side of the trail are two twin birch trees leaning slightly away from each other. And we walked off the trail between the birch trees. And Aaron had asked, where do we go next? And I say, we find we find the next pair of birch trees until we until we get to the fairy circle. So Aaron and I are walking. And we come to eventually a circle of rocks. This is it, it looked like a smaller than a fire pit. You you wouldn't put wood in here to to make a fire, and there was no sign of a fire. It was just a small ring of rocks with some uh with with some moss on them. And we're a little disappointed, but Aaron says, Is this the circle? And that's when I call over to them. That's not the circle. This is the circle. Something Ben didn't mention about the dark wood. It was the only kind of copse of pine trees in the area. And it was it was pretty thick. 
uh, it was also notably different than the woods around it. So the air here felt cooler and clearer. I, the best way I could describe it is it was this like refreshing cold mountain air, but only in and around this pine glade. Now the circle itself, it was very much as you would think of it as, as a fairy circle. There was a strange kind of gnarly bush in the middle of this perfect circle of fallen leaves around it the undersides of these leaves were all silver and i truly mean that as like an almost slightly shiny silver and on one might, side on one side and you might be thinking okay yeah so what there's a bush in the woods with silver leaves the leaves had all somehow fallen to be silver side up in a perfect circle around it and this was not the only one there were more beyond, beyond the first circle, the largest one, which was just the silver leaves to the tree in the center, uh, who had now lost all of its leaves. There were three consecutively smaller circles. You walked into the woods and you would find the next circle. And then if you followed that line, you would find the next. Um, the descriptions are a little hazy for me of which one had what happening but each one was smaller with different vegetation one had a holly bush with i i think mushrooms growing around it the next smaller one uh you know was a little bit smaller something smaller growing in the center and then a circle of vegetation around it do, do you know do you remember uh what was in each of these circles so they were all variations on pretty much the same bush, except for that one holly bush. You were right about that. I'm actually going through my phone because I, I still have a picture of the big one. But they were all variations on kind of the same thing, and those silver leaves were very much in keeping across almost all of them. I don't the picture think... doesn't do them justice. That's the frustrating thing. No, is, it really is... doesn't. You take a look at this picture and you go, I, I don't get it. What's the point? I can kind of see the silver. It looks vaguely circular. I'm not a photographer. <laughs> so <laughs> it it could have looked better, but it's what I got. <laughs> it's it's the best I got. Um we can pop we can possibly throw this up on the website after. We can. I'm almost I'm we will uh, eventually I'd like to get a, a different page for each of our episodes with show notes, links to anything that we're mentioning. Um, I know that we've mentioned some articles in prior episodes and other podcasts, so I want to get links going. Um, with the with the show notes, I, I'm almost reluctant just because those pictures aren't going to do it justice. Those pictures no. aren't going to do it just like you're. I swear on my life, I'm feel. I'm trying to pull this up and I'm going to throw up this picture and listeners are going to look at this and go, I don't get it. What's the big deal? In the air around it, too, was this is this is January. The air was around just this one area was so warm and still. It was I I should stress that despite it being January in New England, it was not uncomfortable to be in this pine glade and you could have all at once taken your coat off but every breath was also this like refreshing crisp mountain air um it was 
I mean, the, the best way I could describe it is it was like this really weird liminal space. And I know that that word gets oh, it's loaded. used a lot these days. And I understand that. But this was the first time that we stepped into what some would refer to as a window area. You're in one place and it seems like you're in another or at the border of another. Um, it was it was a truly lim- liminal space by definition. And we have found that for just uh, to, to, to peek open the box of analysis just a little bit, um, these spaces, these in-between spaces are where you find the most strange, where you can walk into that pocket. Um, I do think that there was a significance uh, walking through the birch trees. I, I think that I think that what I felt was finding that that right pocket to approach this in. There's a part of me that really feels almost that if we walked to that circle from a different direction, something different would have happened. It, it wouldn't have felt significant that way. Um, we found that pocket in between space and we approached it the right way. I really get the feeling there was something important about that. But in that moment, it felt like a big victory. It felt like we found something truly special. It felt like it was reinforced because I said, if we walk in this direction, we will find a circle. And to find such a deliberate circle and then more circles, to, to have that confirmed, that that felt like a win. That felt like that was what we were supposed to find, which is why we decided that we were going to go back later that night. Chapter six, Faye in the Moonlight. So after having a very lovely dinner, we wind up driving back at night. We wanted to do a little bit of token investigation on the path because if there are melon heads, something that we were quite certain was not what's going on here, well, they come at you at night. We want to give them the chance to throw rocks at us. Smart. So we go up the path a little bit and we wind up, you know, we do that for maybe five, ten minutes and it's like, all right, let's cut to the main event. We want to head straight into that pine glade and see what's what. Now, just just a correction. We did walk down the entirety of Downs Road, the path before turning around. That's and fair. It just isn't a very long one. It It isn't very long. And I remember Aaron and Kelly were both disappointed because during the walk, nothing had happened. They weren't hearing those voices again. Nothing seemed significant. I, I One of them had, had said out loud, like, I don't know, whatever was there this morning, I'm just not feeling it now. And I was like, well, come on, guys. Like, we're not we're not like at the place yet. Yeah, also we're not done here. I had a very distinct mental image that popped into my head unbidden um, when we were close to the houses, uh, which was uh, uh, a very, a very unwelcome kind of image. It was a very colorful specter, almost like a, like an oil sticker. Um, You never told me about this. It was a, so in the moment, I don't want to say to people what kind of impressions I'm getting because especially I've trusted your observations, but I know that people can be very impressionable. 
I I do believe that a, a part of me telling my story about the dice on the mushroom is what led to Kelly saying, I don't know. I think the fairies want me to take this rock. Like, I, I do feel like there was a degree of people getting excited in this situation. And when I start thinking that I'm seeing an objective thing, like we walk through the silver gate and we find the circle, I want to be really careful that we don't all get extremely excitable. So Groupthink is a very real risk. It's a huge risk, and there are things you can do to prevent it. We talked about if you're in the woods at night, stop. Take a minute. Acclimate. Listen to the sounds. Acclimate. And we did that a couple times. And because what you're trying to do is you're trying to fight yourself and others from taking every twig snapping as a sign that there is something just beyond view. You want to make sure you get it right. You want to stay frosty and you want to make sure that, you know, when you do see something, you're going to know it. But it's also very easy for us to summon our own specters. So in the moment, if I'm walking on a path and suddenly I get a, a very sharp mental image jump into my mind, which doesn't happen all the time. It does happen sometimes when we're in these places. I'm going to be really careful what I say. And no, that so, makes but, sense. Is it imagination? Is it legitimate? We don't know yet. Is it? Is it imagination? Is it legitimate? Or is it both? In which case, my brain is trying to visualize a thing that it can't visualize. And what I saw was a specter. It was a essentially a mummified corpse with its arms stretched out to either side, a dry shriveled face, hair was extremely frazzled it still had hair and it was going in all these directions and it had a long shirt that was tattered until about the waist and then nothing below the waist but its color went from the bottom like a green up to uh blues reds oranges and then yellows on the top and glowing almost like i'm looking at like a heat signature of this thing and that it was for half a second, this very vivid image when we were by the houses went into my head. I don't know where it came from. And I didn't mention it. I'm kind of happy you didn't. Well, also a part of it is I went, those aren't goblins. We're looking for goblins tonight. That's I got a banshee. I don't like, are we, are we completely <laughs> dipping into Irish folklore? I don't know what I just saw. I'm going to not mention it because one, it didn't seem relevant and two uh i don't want to excite others who are with us into now thinking that there's a a, a ghost to be completely fair we would have like that that would have a hundred percent lit their imaginations on fire mine too i'll admit to an extent and that would have derailed things very quickly and then if someone afterwards told me hey i just saw a really scary thing floating around and here's what it looks like and then they described it confirmation that bias that would be pretty cool yeah so yeah. we headed back up the path um and we went through the, the birches again to find our way back to the circle and we we did our acclimation once we were at the circle it 
when we went there, it felt charged. Uh, I believe it was a a new moon that night, which also has a lot of connotations. Yes, it was a new moon, so it was fairly dark. Uh, reasonable starlight, but especially in that pine glade with a lot of overhead cover, when you turned uh, your lights off, oh, the immediate area was almost pitch black. Mm-hmm. And lights out, eyes adjusting. We stood at the circle. We stood at the edge of the circle, and we wanted to be careful not to touch or disturb anything. Um, this is our big rule. Do not go into the circle. I There was a branch that had fallen that I really wanted to, like, I wanted to pick up, and I was like, maybe that'll be seen as is a good is a good thing to do, you know, doing a nice favor to, to keep it clean. I didn't, I didn't, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to touch anything. Um, but we stood there for a bit. We stood there for, uh, five minutes, three to five minutes in, it in wasn't silence. Long. It wasn't long at all. Then I heard what at the time I described is the sound of the flipping of like a silver coin, just this, I, I don't know why a silver coin is going to make a particular sound, but I heard this ting, which I guess was the bell that other people said that they heard. It heard was because I heard it too. Which I, I did not know until you mentioned it just maybe an hour ago. That's the first time hearing that you, you heard a sound. Yes. So the experience as it's about to unfold was different for half of the group. Ben and I heard that coin flip, that silver bell, that that tinkling. Um, it was more of a it was more of like a tinkling jingle bells back at the foundations earlier that day. Yes, I would very much you know it was the very stereotypical like foley work you know two face flips the flips the quarter. Now this um, is so. This is the second time you've heard a bell that day, correct? Or a yes. sound that day? This would be um, the second time I've heard a sound just very just like that. That I would I would say the same sound. Aaron and less. Kelly did not hear a sound. No, they described, however, the same thing. They saw something. They they told me, and I believe it was Kelly who first said what she saw. Uh, and then Aaron said, I saw that too. And then he finished describing it and they, they kind of corroborated each other. Um, they were really good about that despite being shaken up. Yes. And I don't, I really do think that they both saw it. Here's what they saw standing directly behind me. Stepping from the deep shadow was a tall woman with black hair wearing a white robe of some kind. And the woman apparently stepped behind me and then vanished. And it was when they said that, uh, I decided it was time for us to leave. A good decision. Now, we got and, what we, we, got I, what I we came nervous. for. I, I didn't love that, and uh, I think Aaron may have said, and I, I'll I'll follow up with him after. He might have said that she didn't disappear; she like moved extremely quickly off to one side. Which anything in the dark that can see us better than we can see it moving that quickly, yeah, it's time to go. 
Chapter 7. Are you sure? So we wind up making our way out of the woods and we get back to the car. And now is when the story really gets weird. Yeah, this is the part. Yeah, this is it. Everything else totally normal. This is where it gets weird. So we're packing up and getting our gear into the car. We're not in the car yet. There's a car rolling down the street toward us. It looks like a black SUV as it gets closer. And at this point, it pulls up to a stop kind of, you know, sideways so that the driver's side is facing us. And the window rolls down and there's a man in there. You can't really see him clearly, but he he actually openly accosts us, this dude out of nowhere. And he's like, hey, uh, how you guys doing this evening? What are you uh, what are you up to? And. You know, maybe credit to us or maybe something to be ashamed of, but we very quickly say, oh, we just went on a night hike. You know, we hear that the stars are really cool up here. He goes, oh, yeah. So do you guys see anything weird? Now I'm getting a little red flagged and creeped out. And all of us kind of like shake our heads and go, no. And there's a pause for a beat. And he goes, are you sure? Now, (laughs) I'm more afraid of this man now than anything that I encountered in the woods. (laughs) But to our credit, we take it in stride and go, yeah, no, it was just a just a night hike. Stars were really nice. You know, you going out there yourself. It's it's a beautiful night and kind of step the situation down. And he's like, oh, well, you kids have a great night, blah, blah, blah. And we pile into the car and off we go. <laughs> yeah, I still that, get bad feelings recounting that that. We'll be talking in a little bit about what we think happened in that moment, but especially for those of you who are familiar with uh, perhaps some high strangeness window lore or perhaps uh, uh, Jack's hot sheets reference, uh, you might see where we're going with uh, with this part of the story. But uh, again, so this was a a large black car, tinted windows. It's like high beams on us. Like his lights were on. Yeah, he, he did have his lights on us. And pulled up. This is important. Pulled up. Uh, as we're leaving the forest, he's just pulling up on the road. So he's not coming from the forest. He's not, you know, making sure we didn't find his meth lab. He's only between uh, us and the exit. And so that, that's. Yeah, that this, part that part tripped my instincts. There was something very not right wrong. with that. And we've I've done I've done plenty of hikes. I've also been in plenty of places where it's dubious if one should be there or not, where a man in a car comes and asks me what I'm doing. This one felt very different. This is the only hike I've ever ended where somebody on cue rolls up and asks us what we're doing as we're getting ready to leave. And it was it was just the demeanor, it was the line of questioning, it was the tone and timbre. I maybe I'm just kind of projecting or I still have nerves after that happened, but it sounded like he knew we saw something. 
it sounded like he knew just the are you sure and the fact that someone's doubling down on asking if we saw anything strange no are you sure you didn't see anything strange it wasn't are you sure you didn't come here to look for melon heads yeah was, he didn't are you sure you didn't see a thing that was really off-putting it was super off-putting and and he stayed in the car by the way we, we drove away i'm watching that car it didn't that move car stayed right there that was not a man getting out to go for a night hike on. yeah no Mm-mm. it wasn't and a that cop also either because they would have followed and made sure that we were heading somewhere that wasn't trouble yeah, I'd like to be perfectly Again, clear. This was not a police officer. Likewise. This guy was not law enforcement. He did not out. He did not announce himself as such. It was not a police car. You know, there was no identifying himself. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it still makes me so uncomfortable. Uh, I... I like talking about it, but then I don't. I I hit a point where I'm like, uh, that that one was that was a moment. So so let's let's very briefly mention we have returned two times. Yes. Uh, the first time that region had just been hit with a tornado, we went through the path. We spent hours climbing over fallen trees. We found the circle. We found where it was. We what was found left of tree, it. And it felt, it didn't feel like anything. It didn't, There, we didn't feel any of that significance we felt the first time. It, it was, it was empty of that enchantment. Uh, the second time was a little bit more interesting because uh, we had a weekend where we had done a little bit of um well we did our first bigfoot hunt which is a story for another episode um there are some fun developments in that department but uh we had come back and we were with matt who uh you'll recall is jack's brother who was with us at the hessian village um and so this is much more recently this is this is within the past uh two months uh we had gone back to Downs Road very quickly. We were we were driving by it and we we're like, you know, let's let's take a quick look see. So as the sun was going down, we we went for a bit of a walk there to scope out how the area had changed since the tornado had hit. Quite a bit, by the way. Quite a bit. Uh, but that dark forest is still there. That yes. that wood is still there. And I don't think a tornado or us finding the place is going to bring an end to the window. I, I, I think that there's still a focus somewhere, even if the focus is changed in location. When we went back at night, we'd already had a strange evening because as we will talk in a upcoming episode very soon, every time we discuss the Hessian village, um, we are not alone. And uh, even Jack editing episode two had some interesting uh, events occur that is for uh, the next episode. Um, but that evening, we had been talking about the Hessian village. The three of us had that just that feeling on our spines that we couldn't shake. Something's while, watching. While feeling very watched, we went back to Towns Road, a different strange thing. And uh, we think it was a bear that chased us out. 
So we're continuing down the path. I would like to point out that we did not actually go into the Pine Glade either the first time during the day or the second time during the night. We kind of wanted to save that for the night because that's the main event, right? We don't want to go diving into this straight off. No, no, we're building up to it. We wanted to try and recapture and repeat what caused us to experience things the first time around. And so rather than charging right into the heart of the matter, we wanted to kind of give the weird some time to build up and let it acclimate to us just as we're doing the same. But we're going up the path again at night, and we're getting to the part where the rock faces begin on the left. It's right as we're about to, well, right before we're about to break off of that, we did a few stop and listens, and I'm really glad we did. Because just ever so faintly, you could hear something moving in the woods parallel to us. And it was actually my brother that picked up on it first. It moved in pretty closely, and then it was it was very obvious. It was smacking its jowls, which is not a great sign when you're in the woods. No, and we had no visual on this thing. We shined our lights in its direction. We actually did try to break off the path and get to the ridge, and that was when it was within maybe 15 feet of us through some brush. And it was really the lack of eye shine in the lights that got me concerned. Uh, whatever this was, it was moving very quietly. I would have classified it as stalking behavior, Um my initial concern is that it was a cat of some kind, and I don't mean, you know, I don't I don't mean Boots the Tuxedo house cat. <laughs> I mean, like, is it a bobcat? It shouldn't be a mountain lion. They're not in this part of the state. Wasn't wasn't 100% sure what it was, but we ultimately decided to cluster together and slowly make our way back out. Whatever this was, it was not going to let us just enjoy our evening, you know, completely unharassed. So we're um, we're making our way down the path. We do occasional stops and listens. Maybe it lost interest. Maybe it broke off. No, no. It's still creeping along behind us. Whole way out. Yeah, it followed us pretty much the whole way to the car. Probably for the best. We definitely did have some concerned homeowners wondering why there was a vehicle parked out at the end of their cul-de-sac in the middle of the night. I was a little I was a little disappointed. I have been feeling the call to get back to that circle for some time now, and um, I'll get back there. We will. We'll make our way back there properly. Properly. So at this point in time, I am really excited. We can open the box on analysis a little bit. At uh, last, <laughs> at last, we finally reached it because now we can we can reference all three of kind of our our finding uh, our founding initiation journey of that that sort of triptych of high strangeness. We we learned something new at every step of the way, and to to briefly summarize before uh, kind of getting into the analysis and opening up the floor a little bit. The order that these things happened in. First, we had our Mischief Night, October 2016, Whiskey Hollow. And what we quickly found 
was that there are things in the forest that they seem to have uh, needs, they seem to feed. Uh, there is a pattern to these things. Uh, they might have a hunting ground, they might stalk you. Uh, but we learned that there are things out there in the wilderness that can defy expectation and that you can find them. Then, Most importantly, they have some predictable behaviors. That has been a big part of why we're doing things the way that we do with Haunting Gather is we want to learn what are the patterns of these things. Uh, so what we dubbed road weirds, we're going to talk more in a future episode about what we think its patterns are. And we've also correlated it to some behaviors in some haunted homes that we've had the privilege of investigating there does seem to be a replicable pattern to certain types of creatures in the forest. When we get to Downs Road, now January 2017, our learn is that there is more than meets the eye to the paranormal. Now, we are not the first to learn this. This is just the time we learned this in our own course of discovery moving away from more mainstream paranormal to finding that there are whole uh, groups of people, communities that are looking into high strangeness and that they have been for a very long time. We learned it independently and then found our way into, into, these, uh, into these conversations. But we learned, hey, there's things that seem like goblins. We don't think they're goblins. And maybe just maybe what we have going for folklore isn't quite what's actually happening, but it can help inform us. Then uh, we get to December of 2018 with the Hessian village. So up to this point in time, we've learned there are things in the wood and they are not necessarily what is immediately obvious. And was, we, we did take this lesson to the Hessian village. And that was ultimately what spurred the comment and the thought of, well, what if it's not Hessians? It was the fact that when we had voiced that idea out loud, strange things had already been happening. We had seen the orbs. There was odd occurrences in the forest. That's when we were seen. That's when something took notice that we were aware it wasn't Hessians. And it should be important to note that what occurred was immediate, abrupt, and completely in breaking with the known pattern of that area. And we still haven't shaken that thing off. If we are together and we talk not about the Hessian village, but about what is actually behind the Hessian village? It's there. And and that has been a very strange feeling. And that 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 is a continuing to develop story. Um, but we learned that not only are there strange things and they're not what meets the eye, but that they might be sometimes actively deceiving people and the stories that we make about that place. So we take all three of those lessons into anything that we're talking about with Haunt and Gather. All of that having been said, uh, Jack, 
with yes. Downs Road. Um, I think that we can both agree that this is a a window area of high strangeness. That 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 seems to be the category that we're putting this in. You'll get no debate from me on that. Uh, it it definitely is this not to not to use an overused term, but it is this very liminal odd area where something is either existing in parallel to us or it's some type of designated spot either by design or by happenstance where something can pass through and interact with our world but i think we can also both agree that it is definitely not melon heads yeah okay two two thumbs up on that uh two stamps of approval it's not melon heads no or uh, i'll be more specific it could be melon heads there with the understanding that melon heads are just one name for a bigger phenomenon. True. And something that's going to color our approach pretty much with any any investigation that we go on. Trust the symptoms, trust what people are conveying to you that they've seen, maybe question what they call it. So one thing that we're going to bring up a whole lot is uh, a phrase uh, that I've borrowed from, I believe, the Encyclopedia of the Unexplained. And again, I will look up and verify that. But something that I've come to, and it's become my kind of investigating mantra, is to trust folk observation, but never folk explanation. People say that they see a light in the sky. I'm going to listen to that. When people say that the light in the sky they saw is an angel, is the Buddha, is Jesus, is a space alien, is a multidimensional being, is a ghost, I can keep going on. I'm not going to listen to that. Not because they're necessarily wrong, but because everyone's going to take their beliefs and then use everything they see, especially weird stuff, to confirm it. And this isn't just with an organized religion. This is also with any pattern of thinking about the paranormal. We cannot trust folk explanations. We can't it's... take anything for granted. We can't even take for granted, okay, go, we believe in ghosts, so we believe in you know, dead people haunting houses? Not necessarily. It's incredibly oh. important to acknowledge what you have seen and experienced, but also to understand it doesn't even have to be from a professional scientific perspective, but at least know and acknowledge that you don't know enough to try to explain what this thing is. Bringing us to the melon heads, right? So we have a folk observation that there are these tiny rubbery things with big heads that cause mischief in the forest. And also, uh, boy, we immediately jump to, hey, there are legends about small rubbery things with big heads that do mischief to keep people away from fairy circles. Hey, let's look for the fairy circle. Hey, we found a fairy circle. It's got to be fairies. It was such a weird self-fulfilling chain of events, wasn't it? It really was, and my first approach to that is Irish folklore with fairy circles and goblins, uh, no, though that is not just limited to Irish folklore, but that was our frame of reference. 
Our Those are also was, folk explanations, right? Yeah. How couldn't this have crossed the pond into the new world if it wasn't here already? Yeah. Think, you know, Neil Gaiman, American Gods, things have followed us over. But we know that these things pre-exist an Irish immigrant bringing the folklore with them. That thing was always there. And there's already been folklore in place indigenously about small magic places where small magic people are doing strange magic things. And that's what eliminated European Fae as one potential explanation. And again, at the end of the day, European Fae, puck wedgies, anything that we're talking about, these All are kind just of sounds the same. They're folk explanations. What I trust is as dumb as the folk explanation of the melon head is. The observation is worth merit, especially when that observation to this day is so widespread, bringing us to the phenomenon of Hellier with the Newkirks. They take a very um, occult approach to what's happening. And um, I might not share that perspective 100%, but their entire show begins to explore, hey, there seems to be a phenomenon in the U.S., perhaps over the Mammoth Cave system or elsewhere, of tiny, tiny little rubbery guys with big heads doing mischief to keep people away from places. It's a part of a bigger pattern. We don't think it's a vague phenomenon. No, um, not at all. I also don't think they're entirely co-creative. I will. Um, well, it, it's important at this point to note the Mammoth Cave system is absolutely sprawling. Okay, real quick, let me explain what we mean by the Mammoth Cave System, because if you have not yes. seen that show... so Yeah, some context one, will be important here. There is a theory that uh, throughout the U.S. there are different you know, stories that boil down to... It's a goblin, but it has a funny name. Uh, I'll make one up right now. It's the Jug-Headed Pelter Boys, and they live by the mines... And they throw rocks, bottle caps. They throw bottle caps. The, the I already forgot the name. The jug-headed pelter boys. They throw <laughs> bottle caps at boys who don't tie their shoes properly. That's going to be the myth. And uh, then two states away, you know, well, these are the, uh, by the way, it might sound like I'm doing a very exaggerated, maybe like Southern accent. I'm actually going for central New York. <laughs> the nasal twang is the important difference. Uh, if I say cat, there we go. <clears throat> there it is. Cat. There we cat. go. I've I've worked my whole life trying to shed this way of speaking. You know, so so then you're going to go, you know, by Syracuse. and They're going to be like, you know, well, we're looking for the um, the the little St. Andrews monster. Uh, and we call him that because. Uh, Jack, hey, um, what's yes. the saint? If you lose something, he helps you find it. Oh, St. Anthony. It's the little St. Anthony monster. And if you lose something, the little St. Anthony monsters were the ones that hit it. And you got a pretty St. Anthony and you find it. So you're going to have these these weird, dumb, local lore bits all over the country. They're going to be folk explanations, but they're connecting 
the same underlying narrative that there's a little tiny rubbery guy with a big head who's doing some kind of mischief and he lives out in the woods probably by caves that is the underpinning and some have observed um and they talk about this uh in hellier that it kind of sure seems like this long spanning mammoth cave network which spreads from i want to say kentucky to to vermont it's expansive and an interesting note when you were tracking the mammoth cave system would you like to uh, regale the listeners as to where it so happens to run under oh yeah so one fun thing about that theory is it does run under the part of connecticut that downs road is in so maybe me climbing and poking around that ridge isn't too far off you might have been onto something might have been onto something i was there the other you know the more recent visit as well and i still feel a a weird little vibe that there there just might be little melon heads living in those caves who knows um i did also mention co-creative and what i mean by that is there is a, a theory that sometimes the phenomenon fits your expectations isn't it interesting that the moment we said is it fairies suddenly we are noticing hey did fairies leave a little rock on a rock for someone to pick up hey we heard bells and whispers just like fairies would do and then running with that i'm like let's look for uh let's look for a circle and maybe it was even my idea about the birch trees that led to all that happening that's the co-creative theory the idea is that the expectations in these especially in these window areas can go hand in hand with what you end up finding so, i'm not a hundred percent on board with that interestingly enough do you think that now that we're fairly convinced that this is not necessarily fey is that influencing what we're finding or not finding when we go back maybe i still think uh, that there is a degree of objective reality to what it is. Uh, would, and a part of that is there, there way to find to, that circle again, whether it's because whether it's jug headed Pelter boys or St. Anthony's monsters or melon heads, which is not my IP, uh, whether it's any of these things, if it was entirely co-creative, well, co-creative is, is two things creating. So if it was entirely in the camp of my expectations and warping my expectations, then there wouldn't be such a predictable pattern of little tiny rubbery guys with big heads doing mischief to keep you away from things and they might live in caves. It wouldn't be a pattern. No, it's especially true. because it's such an obscure it's such an obscure thing. Um, the commonality all, isn't it, the Irish folklore. It all predates our arrival, too. Mm -hmm. it, it really does. And this is, in a lot of ways, a, a very global myth. But um, I, I don't think it's the, the global nature of the myth that shapes what, what seems to be happening. I am never in the camp that high strangeness is a completely random, arbitrary thing, and nonsense is going to happen, and we can't track any pattern to it. Um, I do know that there are people who think that way, um, but I just I do think, think we're not looking is, closely enough. I think there's an objective component to it. Um, you know, it. other people point out that there are parallels to to greys and to aliens, that they're also little tiny rubbery guys with big heads. 
Um, there may be some correlation, but there's also some details that don't fully match up to that either. Well, I know that um, what I, I think it's in Passport to Magonia. Uh, I haven't read it, but I do know that uh, Jacques Vallée um, has talked about the idea that uh, fairies, other religious experiences could all be other forms of intelligent life where the the stories in Irish folklore of people being whisked away by the fairies and by the goblins, they could be describing alien abductions or with, you know, co-creative theory, um, alien abductions as we experience them today could be, we're not seeing what's actually happening and there's a bigger thing. But now that our expectation is this, this is what we see. We're not being taken aboard the mothership. We're being brought through one of these window areas. Exactly. So, or so, vice versa. Right. And so we don't know what the truth is and what is truth. That that conversation can get really frustrating really fast. And I think we can we can miss the point that. But guys, there is a there is a predictable pattern that. And we went out and looked for it. We yes. looked for one of these rubbery rubbery guys with big heads. <laughs> you know. Well, things. we didn't find that, but we did find something else. And I'm sorry, we keep not using the word goblin. There's a word for that. The word is goblin. So, like, we keep looking for goblins. And, boy, we found a lot of strange where the goblins were. So, um, Even you know, if we didn't find goblins. Our first episode, our tip was sometimes you should stop in the woods and acclimate. Um, if we had a tip for episode two, it would probably be don't say out loud that you think there is something actively deceiving you because, you know, maybe it will react where it will react. Uh, If I had a tip for episode three is if you want to find something really weird, find the goblin esque local lore and look there. And if I can add to that. Also clear your mind of expectations. That's going to really help. We we tried playing coy also on our return. Here's here's another funny thing about our return trip. We tried to get in the headspace of the first time we went there. We were like, let's look for wink melon heads. And we went through and we really tried to. We can't get in the headspace again. We can't fit that back in the box. So as we're walking, we were finally like. We can't do it. We know that it's other weird stuff happening. We can't even get back in the in the fey headspace anymore of is this is this fairies that we were in the first time. Our expectations have changed and we can't lie to ourselves or the phenomenon. And get into a headspace of where we once were. And it wasn't until we were honest with ourselves. And tried to just see at the level that you know, we think the phenomenon is now, which is to say, let's be upfront. We think this is a high strangeness now when we go there. We don't think that it's melon heads. We don't think that it's fairies. We think that this is a much more complex phenomenon. That's when it started to feel magic. Like that's when it started to feel that feeling of if we stay here long enough, we just might find something. Not to project, but it, it really did feel like whatever this was came to the realization of like, oh, thank God, you're finally we're, we're dropping the act. 
it felt like it was beginning to play with us. I, I know that Matt that night claimed that he saw he saw like a, a fist sized, like softball sized sphere. It wasn't an orb. It was like a like a black. It was night, you know, so it was just like a matte black sphere uh, by one of the trees. Um, he saw one or two strange things. I, he had some strange impressions. I was starting to get the the weird R heebie-jeebies. Um, but then that stupid bear we couldn't see uh, chased us out. So uh, having talked with a former game warden, it was most likely a black bear. I am all for chalking things up as, yes, this was weird or it was high strangeness. Oh, I think but, it was a black bear. Yeah, describing what we went through and knowing that I had food in my backpack. Um, yeah, it, it most likely was a black bear and it didn't have any ill intentions. It just smelled the food and, you know, it was it was curious because it's a big old woods dog. So um, I'll also say that... Um, When we're talking about what the nature of the phenomenon is at Downs Road and elsewhere, um, we can put it in one of two categories, right? Well, unless it's A, it's goblins, right? There, there, yes. There's three ways of looking at this. A, it's it's goblins, or it's the jug-headed pelter boys, or it's St. Anthony's monsters. It's whatever thing that you, you think it is in that area. Um, but to your point, it is simply what it is. It could just be what it is, objectively. Two, it could be that um, it's a complicated idea, but um, it could be that what we saw was a par- something from a parallel nearby place. And when you're in the window area, you were seeing intelligent. There's a form of intelligent life, and it's not quite there. It's not quite material. You're in between. You're in that in-between place. It's experiencing you. You're experiencing it. That's takeaway number two. Takeaway number three is that the phenomenon is loosey-goosey and our expectations colored it completely. In short, that means that either the unchanging thing is absolute and our perceptions of it have changed over time, or B, that this changes to meet your expectation. And we're going to need to go back. Like we're going to need to go back and get lucky again and see, did the same things happen again? Um, it's, it would be tremendously hard to get into the headspace if it is a co-creative phenomenon, because that, that idea of like, I was approaching this so pure of heart at that time that oh my god it's fairies i was so sure it was fairies and i was so sure we'd find a fairy circle and i was so sure we'd go through the silver gates to find something i was so sure of all of that and i'm almost worried that my study of the paranormal since then of like deep paranormal theories which people who do this is like a hobby can take for granted these are some really wacky ideas uh, and it really does make you sound crazy when you try to explain it to like a lay person, even to a person who's open to goblins existing that like the well, let's really pick apart what that implies about reality. Right. It's either it's a cryptid goblin monster or it's from a parallel world or our brains make it. 
and something is playing with our brains and we'll never get to know what that thing it, I, these I have to be really strange ideas i have a large subset of my friends where i can't talk about any of this without the smirks coming out in some ways you're engaging more intellectually when you're like okay well i don't think it's goblins either i'll admit that that's ridiculous let's talk about if these things are out there here's what might be happening let's get into the nuts and bolts of it um it can wipe some of the smirks away because you're not talking about you know goblins anymore but when you really pick away okay if there is something throwing rocks at me in the woods and we agree that it's it's not gnomes it could have huge implications for the reality we live in It, it can sound pretty pretty worrying and intense um so why I yeah. love the approach that we take, we're attempting to apply a traditional scientific method to paranormal investigation. Yes. Yes, I I would more, say or, more or less as best as we can, as best as we can with a very abstract, often unseen concept. I would posit that one of the easiest ways to dismiss someone's weird, wild or strange stories is that it happened once, and for the same reason that it's dangerous to apply labels to the phenomena that we are studying, they are equally sure that you should not be applying a label to what you think you encountered that one time in the woods. One of the hallmarks to any effective experiment or theory is the ability to replicate your data. We were able to do it at Whiskey Hollow, and I think that being able to replicate that same strangeness multiple times at Downs Road, not consistently because it, it doesn't behave like that, but consistently enough, it it should shed some light on a better understanding as to what it is that's going on here. Downs Road has some of the deepest implications of everything we've seen so far because Whiskey Hollow and the Road Weirds, which is kind of the beginning of our own taxonomy, of trying to put things in new boxes that we've made. And those have patterns. We can take different people's ghost stories of things on the side of the road and you find certain patterns, uh, which we'll talk more about. Um, but uh, another time, uh, the Hessian village has rules. It's a, it's a limited thing that will have certain rules to it. It's a puzzle. It goes deeper, but it's a finite, it's finite in scope. Downs Road was our introduction to the world of high strangeness window areas, and it ties uncomfortably to other parts of high strangeness phenomenon. Um, The Mothman prophecies by uh, Keel, there's a lot of parallels there. We've brought up Hellier plenty of times because that's a big part of the strangeness zeitgeist right now. But, um, you know... the shock that I felt watching that show and them making a big deal of a deflated balloon they found. And I was like, wait a minute, but I saw that balloon. I saw that balloon at a, at a different space where we were looking for goblins and found a deflated balloon instead and thought is something stranger happening. It was a really weird parallel. And for the show to then be like, Hey, what could this balloon mean? It means that there'll be parallels and a lot of coincidences. So keep an eye out for balloons. Like I'm meanwhile in my living room, like you had the being uh, hit with an intense cosmic horror. 
you, you had the Brad Pitt once upon a time in Hollywood meme where you're like, you've got your cereal and you're pointing at the screen like that. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I will say one, one piece of folklore also from the Mothman prophecies and from Keel that I was like, yep, you, you are what happens next is that truck is that guy who came. So let, let's, Oh my gosh. Our, our, our thing that freaked us out the most, because in the moment we did not, again, have the words for what we were experiencing. We experienced this before we knew this was a thing that people experience. But you go to these strange window areas and a guy in a black car shows up and asks you questions about it. That is the origin of a little movie called The Men in Black. Yes. So I think that what we experienced was indeed one of The Men in Black. Uh, it fits it fits the profile really well. It matches the same pattern that multiple people have either realistically or fictitiously posted about um, when it comes to those sorts of experiences. So we didn't get to see what the person, who they were, what they were wearing. Uh, but what we did get to see was they rolled up in a dark vehicle they asked they asked very pointed questions about what it was that we experienced and that serendipitously perfect timing of coming in just as we get back to the car you know if something was alerted and wanted to roll up and investigate the perfect time to to come up on us by surprise is when we're still in the woods right and it because we weren't in there very long so i i feel like let, let's even say it's not the men in black. Let's say it's sure. it's someone who's concerned that people are checking out a part of the woods even. Um, and there can always be um, equipment hunters used to know when things have walked by a certain area. So if you know there's a particularly odd part of the area or that fun garden you made with those four circles, I don't know. Let's say you put a piece of equipment there to know when people are there. Well, these people went in the middle of the day for a bit. Uh, I'm a little, you know, on guard. I'm a little on edge. We came there and we were only at the park for like five minutes before we left. We were there not very long. We had been walking on a trail much longer than that. So it's interesting that it wasn't until we went to the weird spot, it seems like someone started to head towards us and then caught us as we were leaving because we weren't there as long maybe as they thought we'd be there. Um, they might have realized, okay, no threat, they're leaving, let's just ask some questions. But if we were there longer, we might have run into them in the woods. It's possible, or depending on your investment in the high strangeness, I rich coming from the very down-to-earth logical person, but I truly believe that they showed up exactly when they intended to show up. Okay. I I think that that arrival was very specific in how and when it happened. You know, not to, not to pull a Gandalf, but I think they arrived precisely when they meant to. Well, folks told you we were going to talk about some of our analysis and our theories today and we hope you enjoyed where our ideas went uh if you found that exciting we've got a lot more of that in store 
if you thought this went from people telling some fun but spooky forest stories um, to us showing the worrying depths of how much we've thought about this, uh, we hope that doesn't scare you away. And we would like you to also stick around for a little bit after uh, some shopkeeping. And as we promised, Jack will go over with you how to pack your day bag for when you're going on an adventure much like the ones that we've talked about so far. So first, we'd love it if you followed us on social media. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Haunt and Gather. We're also on Instagram, at Haunt and Gather. Our website is hauntgather.com. Uh, there you can also send us an email if you have any questions or stories to share with us. We would love to hear your stories, thoughts, and ideas about the things that we're talking about and if you've experienced anything strange yourself. Furthermore, uh, we're going to have a bonus episode for you coming up. We loved when we did Yule Nights Are for Ghosts. Now, that those were two fictional stories that we made for Christmas, uh, but we always have some additional stories that we can share. Sometimes they'll be paranormal. Sometimes they might tie in with a larger paranormal story. Something else might have happened along the way that was a little bit away from the phenomenon we were investigating. So we will try to go closer to something bi-weekly where you're going to have a longer Haunt and Gather episode that will be a numbered episode, and then there'll be bonus episodes in between to stave off the wait. Our first bonus story uh, coming up in two weeks from when you're hearing this, it'll be that other time we went to Whiskey Hollow in Dead Creek. It's not spooky. We'll preface with that. And it didn't really fit the tone and the timbre that we were going for with the episode. But I can promise you that it's definitely notable and unforgettable. And it's actually a love story. Also, folks, I'm excited to announce that we are, as we had mentioned in the last episode, so I'm excited to re-announce that we are returning to the Hessian Village. Uh, we are going to go there at the end of January, so we'll be recording it early February to be our February episode. Uh, there has been a lot that has already happened leading up to uh, our investigation, which will also be a part of the episode. It's going to be some really exciting stuff and kind of terrifying at the time when it happened. But uh, I know I speak for both of us when I say that we're really excited to share that with you. And we haven't even gotten to back to the village yet. So no, we're not even there yet. I'm, I'm, I'm excited, but I'm also dreading that a little bit. It's It's been a strange month already leading up to us preparing to get there. I don't actually know what's going to happen, and there's a healthy amount of concern. Well, we're going to have to make sure that we're prepared, Jack, so we're going to have to pack a bag. Right, so your day pack. Before I dive into it, you guys can absolutely find the article detailing this on our website. It's one of the only two up there at the moment, along with Ben's absolutely stellar cider recipe. I should add one of my own, but that's not what we're here to talk about. So your day pack. When you're gearing up to go out on one of these jaunts, or even if you're just going for a walk in the woods... What you bring with you can be the difference between having a good time and kind of a poopy time. And there, I'm not going to go into all of the specialist gear. I'm not going to give you a 20-point laundry list of this is the 70 pounds of crap that you need to haul with you in order to be ready for every little thing. Uh, 
this is just going to be the basics that no matter what, when I go to get my pack ready for one of these, these are already in there. So the first one's going to be your backpack itself, right? And that sounds kind of like a cop-out or a no-brainer, but you, you really shouldn't just be diving into the woods with your, your Jansport school backpack. You could. But there there is better kit out there for you to dig into. So the bag you pick is super important. I'm not going to go into brands. I'm not going to be plugging anyone specific. One, we're not sponsored. Two, I, I don't know exactly what's going to work best for you. So I'm just going to give you some basic guidelines. It needs to be comfortable. It really needs to be durable. This needs to hold up to extended periods of time in the woods. And most importantly, it needs to keep your equipment safe and dry. Uh, those would be my three guiding principles. And I mean, be, be that weird guy, go, go to REI, go to Dick's, go to wherever, try the pack on and kind of soft adjust it while it's there. It's going to feel different empty than it will with weight in it, but you can at least get an idea of how it sits. You know, is it too high? Is it too low? I really don't like that friction point on my lower back. You will learn all of that just by trying it on. And the cool part is, is there are options from inexpensive to super expensive that will fit your budget and your preferences. Now, it's super important to note that this is a very broad topic that covers a lot of material. As you saw, I just went on for several minutes just about your pack. So the best way to do this is, I think, to break it up into segments. So... Be prepared for more of these in the future as I go on through the list of what to pack in your day pack. And if you want the full Monty all at once, go ahead, check out hauntgather.com and give that article a read. Awesome. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening once again, and we'll talk to you soon. You have a great night. Have a good night, everybody. Haunt and Gather, a paranormal podcast exploring the new American folklore in the great outdoors, is written and produced by Jack Krisky and Benjamin Begensky. Our theme song, Into the Red Light, is used with permission and performed by Beezus Taylor and the Funeral Party. You can check out her album, The Ghost Hunter's Handbook, on YouTube and Spotify. 